Hey, let's turn uh, in our Bibles, let's turn together to the book, the New Testament book of Galatians, uh, the letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in Galatia, uh, beginning today and spanning uh, over the next nine weeks in a series that we have entitled Fruitfulness, we are going to be looking at the nine character traits referred to in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, mind you, of the Spirit. The fruit, singular. Um, in the agricultural world, fruitfulness is flourishing. It is a sign, it is evidence of flourishing. When an, when an apple tree is functioning properly, it produces beautiful and delicious apples. When a grapevine is functioning properly, it produces beautiful and delicious grapes. And this is no accident. The Bible tells us, teaches that the earth was designed for fruitfulness. Um, the Pike Place Market in Seattle, Washington, where I am originally from, should and could convince anyone that the earth was designed for fruitfulness. One walk through this massive market, the stunning flower arrangements alone. I mean, mountains of mouth-watering fruits and vegetables, savory herbs and spices as far as the eye can see, silvery shimmering halibut, Alaskan king crab the size of laundry baskets. Is anyone else hungry? I am all of a sudden getting very hungry. Every table, every booth in the Pike Place Market is just bursting with color and flavor and fragrance. It's fruitfulness. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian Christians, he wrote to remind these Christians of a number of, of important gospel truths. If you were with us several months ago, we went through the letter of Galatians. But one of those truths that Paul wrote to remind these Christians about is that the earth is not alone in its fruit-bearing design. You and I and the rest of humanity were designed to bear fruit. We were designed by a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bear fruit. God himself, within himself, also bears fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, look there with me. But the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's no wonder that nearly everything in creation bears fruit. The God who created the heavens and the earth is a fruitful God. We're diving right in. If you're a note taker, point number one, you and I were created for fruitfulness. Mankind was designed to bear fruit. 
immediately after God created the first humans, what did he tell them? Think with me. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, clearly, there is biological fruitfulness in view here. Uh, Certainly, procreation is in view. God desired and designed Adam and Eve to populate the earth, but there there is another level entirely to God's command to be fruitful that we must not miss. In Genesis chapter 1, when God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, in that verse, we not only glimpse the triune nature of God. I mean, did you catch it? God, singular, uses a plural pronoun for himself. Let us make man in our image, singular. So we not only glimpse the triunity, the triune nature of God in Genesis 1, but we also glimpse our created purpose. To enjoy God, of course, yes, Scripture is clear, but to image God on the earth, to reflect God is our created purpose, to resemble God similar to the way that that my four kids, Finley, Brayan, Haddon, and Keller, they resemble my mannerisms. Uh, They resemble my body language often. My son, you think I talk with my hands? My son, like, is just like this all the time. Dude can't keep still. I love it. They resemble my diction, the way that I I phrase sentences and and speak. They they resemble my sense of humor, which I think is awesome because I'm funny. I'm also not very humble. (laughs) Mankind was created to image the triune God in this way, to resemble him, to reflect his fruitful character on the earth. It's his love that we've been called to resemble and reflect his joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. By the end of this series, you're gonna have them memorized. Pause for just a moment, though, and drink this in with me. Just drink this in with me. That you and I, we were not formed by some impersonal force or a genetic accident. We were fashioned. You were fashioned. You were knit together in your mother's womb, Scripture says, by a loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and good God. And you were knit and formed for such a purpose as this, enjoying and reflecting that triune love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Our collective purpose as individuals Here's our job description as human beings to image the fruit of God on this wonderful plot of earth called Worcester, Ohio. We were created for godly fruitfulness. Mankind was designed to bear fruit. Now to embrace this role 
to embrace our role as God's image, image bearers is our greatest act of worship. It is also the way of flourishing. I once was, uh, I was at an airport. Uh, my dad's a pilot. He flies 767s. I was watching an airport that looked really tired coming in, take a landing, and I asked him, I said, man, do those jets, do those wings, do those, do, do those things just, do they ever just, you know, get, get tired? No, of course, uh, mechanically speaking, yes, but his answer was, he said, you know what, Chris, those jets were made to fire up. They were made to suck air underneath that wing. They were made to keep that gigantic plane in the air. A jet is being its most jettiness when it's flying, when it's doing what it was created and purposed to do. And the same with us. We are walking and living in the most of humanness when we are doing and imaging what we were created to image, which is the triune God and all of his fruitly good goodness. But to reject this role as God's image bearers is mankind's greatest act of rebellion. It is also the way of famine, not of flourishing. There's a lot of metaphors and, and agricultural things going on throughout the Bible to show us uh, what rebellion against the creator God brings with it. The first human beings, Adam and Eve, they betrayed the God of all fruitfulness for ironically a piece of fruit which God commanded not to be eaten. Our first human parents, Adam and Eve, rejected their role as God's image bearers and they were subsequently ejected from the garden of God's presence. And this event, you know, many of us know is referred to in scripture as the fall it's the moment when mankind exchanged the flourishing of fruitfulness for the famine of fleshliness. And every human being born after this event has been born by the flesh and into this famine of being separated from God. Theologians describe this as total depravity, Every one of us, every part of us, body, mind, heart, soul, and will has been marred by the famine that we have brought upon the earth when we collectively rejected our role as image bearers of God. And it's something that each of us have done by nature. Yes, we inherited this nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, but it's something that each of us have, have done by choice. Every time you and I do what we know we should not do, we are rejecting our role yet again as fruitful image bearers of God. Every time you and I do not do what we know we ought to do, because it's been written into our conscience by God, we are yet again rejecting our role as fruitful image bearers of God. And this explains the world. 
This is, this is what's so brilliant about Christianity. It explains why it is that when we turn on the news, we don't see much love and joy and peace. It explains when we, when we scroll through people's comments on social media, we don't see much kindness and goodness. When we listen to the way that most of us parent our kids, God help me, me included, we don't see much patience and gentleness. When we read statistics of the spending habits of most Americans, the eating habits, the drinking habits of most, we don't see much, if any, self-control. It is no wonder why humanity is not flourishing. It's not flourishing. Where, it begs the question, where is the fruitfulness for which we were designed? Because all I see, even on my best day, is famine and fleshliness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 The works of the flesh, these are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which is is really like concocting of drugs. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, which is really like lavish eating parties and drinking parties that result in wild promiscuity. That's that's what's packed in that word. And then Paul finishes it off. And things like these, the works of the flesh are evident, are they not? And then he writes this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The reason we do those things is because we have rejected our role as worshipful image bearers of the creator God. Drunkenness isn't the primary issue. That is the result of the issue that we have rejected our King. Bible says in John chapter 15, Jesus says in John chapter 15, that those who do not bear godly fruit, this is what we deserve. We deserve to be pruned off like a dead branch and cast into fire. This is what mankind deserves for rejecting the creator God whose image we were made to reflect. And this is the bad news that each of us must reckon with. Every religion actually deals in in bad news. It's, It's what's the good news that the religion offers? And Jesus is gooder than all of the good news is out there. He is outright amazing, and we will get to that. The bad news that we're all deserving to be 
lobbed off like a dead branch and cast into the fire for rejecting our creator God, the bad news of this prompts all sorts of bad reactions, especially in the church. So much of my Christian life was spent in an attempt to mimic the fast food industry in my fruit-bearing life. And what I mean by that is, have you guys seen this process where they're not even allowing tomatoes to be vine-ripened anymore? They cut them while they're in their infancy, while they're green, and they load them onto a truck and they spray them with a gas that is supposed to make them red and plump and look like tomatoes. And then when we eat our cheeseburger and the tomato doesn't taste anything like a tomato, you've had this experience, we wonder what's going on. And that is not, that, that is like a perfect metaphor for my majority Christian life. When I look at my life and I don't see fruit, and I know that, well, no one who displays fruit will inherit, who, who, no one who does not display fruit will not inherit. That's a triple negative sentence. So let me, let me back up there. Uh, if I don't display godly fruit, I'm in trouble. That's the consensus of what I was trying to say. And then my response jumps to this legalistic, well, then I'm going to produce fruit. My focus becomes on the fruit. I lob it off of the vine and I start spraying the life out of it, trying to get it to grow quicker. And we're going to see that our role isn't the fruit. That's the Holy Spirit. Our role is the root. Is our root sunk in the soil of God's word and in prayer? We're getting, I just gave away the ending. Man, let's... Ah. Now, the bad news that we, without God's fruit evident in our lives that we are deserving to be lobbed off and tossed into the fire, that prompts all sorts of bad stuff in the church. Because then, when I'm working on overtime, you know, legalistically trying to produce fruit in my own life, well, I'm going to judge all of you for not doing the same. I don't see much fruit in his life. You know what I mean? We have whole churches that you feel nothing but condemnation when you walk into them. Point number two, despite our rejection of God, listen to this, he is still committed to our fruitfulness and our flourishing. Despite our rejection of God, he is still committed in all of his wondrous mercy. He's still committed to our fruitfulness and our flourishing. That sentence really serves as a summary of the biblical story. After Adam and Eve's rebellion, they multiply. They didn't do it in fruitfulness. It was after they had marred the image of God that they were to reflect. That's when they multiplied, and their first son, Cain, murders their second son, Abel, and humanity spirals from there. Centuries later, God chooses from his own outlandish mercy, for whatever reason, there was nothing in the people of Israel to merit his attention, but all of a sudden, centuries later, God's like... I choose the nation of Israel. He gives, he, he, he raises an Israelite man named Moses. He gives Moses the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, a list of 613 rules that were summarized by 10 commandments 
And the purpose of God's law was twofold. We looked at this a little bit when we were in Galatians. <laughs> the purpose of God's Old Testament law was and is twofold. To show the people of Israel and us how far they had drifted from looking like God. How far away they were from actually reflecting his image. And the second purpose of God's law was to realign them with the life of godly fruitfulness for which humanity was made. Throughout the entire Old Testament, if we were to read it right now, Israel, we see, is often likened to a vine. And God, in his patient love and mercy throughout the Old Testament, is repeatedly inviting the Israelites to be realigned and reestablished as his image bearers to reflect his love and joy and peace on the earth and thus demonstrate the life of flourishing amongst all the other nations of earth, demonstrate the life of flourishing for which humanity was made. Despite Adam and Eve's rejection, God is still committed to our fruitfulness and our flourishing. And he, his first wave of this is by giving the law to a nation called Israel. But time and time again, just like Adam and Eve, the Israelites choose fleshliness over godliness. Can we not see ourselves in the people of Israel? I can. They grow just as hateful just as wicked, just as idolatrous as every other nation. And what we learn from this, what we see is that God's law is absolutely perfect for exposing sin, but it is insufficient for expelling sin. It is also insufficient for empowering fruitfulness. This is why Paul is emphatic throughout the book of Galatians that the law cannot rescue sinners. It can only show us that we are sinners. Sinners whose only hope for being rescued from the flesh and restored to fruitfulness is God himself. And then the miracle of miracles of miracles is that despite our repeated rejection of God, he is so committed to our fruitful flourishing, he came down from heaven to reconcile us. That's when we come to the New Testament and we meet God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, in the New Testament, is also called the first fruit, and the true vine of heaven. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians, Colossians, that Jesus is not merely an image bearer. He is the image of the invisible God. And in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. So here, 
The law of God the Father exposes our sin. The death of God the Son expels our sin. But it begs the question, we're talking about fruitliness. How are we to be empowered for a life of re-embracing the image-bearing fruitfulness for which we were called? Well, there's an answer for that. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, 18, 22, 25, by God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the law of God the Father exposes our sin. The death of God the Son expels our sin. Hallelujah. The indwelling of God the Spirit empowers us to turn from our sin and to walk in godliness. Do we see just how triune our salvation is? Galatians 5.18 to be led then by the Spirit means to no longer be under the law. Remember? The law of God the Father exposes the sin of our flesh. But Paul writes in 5.16, I say to you now, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Since the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve into fleshliness and famine, it had always been, been God's design, designed purpose and intention not to write a law for people to be conformed by, but to inhabit them himself with his spirit to write God's law on their hearts and to recreate them into the image bearers they were designed to be. I mean, this stuff is profound. But I say walk by the Spirit. And all of those things that you don't want to do, all of those evidences of flesh and famine, sexual immorality, drunkenness, drug addiction, the whole nine, you won't gratify those desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. The fruit, singular of the Spirit, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person one who has eternally existed in wholeness and fullness and goodness and glory with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, the one who overcomes our natural opposition to the things of God. Paul tells us in our chapter this morning, Galatians 5 verse 17, that what we desire by nature, the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Spirit. Like, 
You and I aren't coming out of the womb naturally wanting to love and be joyful and be peaceful and be patient. Just look at the comments on YouTube or, I mean, we, none of us comes out naturally doing these things. We love when it's convenient for us. But the Spirit, through the miraculous work of regeneration, that's what theologians refer to this, the Spirit supernaturally enters our hardened hearts, hearts of fleshiness, of famine, and with the life-saving grace of Christ, the Holy Spirit causes us, is the language of 1 Peter 1, causes us to be born again into the life of reflecting God's image, into the life of fruitfulness and flourishing according to God's original design. Church, fruitfulness is the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a visible outworking of the invisible inworking of the third member of the Trinity. Now, that's just been a bunch of information. Hopefully, though, it has been edifying to see that the idea of flesh versus fruit, of flesh versus spirit, of you know, these metaphors of vines and, and first fruits, that it is, a, it is a consistent chord throughout all of Scripture. Isn't it astounding that Scripture, all of the unique books of the Bible, were written in three different languages over 1,500 years of time, and yet there is such consistency flowing through the entirety of the narrative? It's unbelievable. Fruitfulness is the work of the Holy Spirit. Point three is really an invitation, and I'll just call it that, the invitation that we have this morning as I prepare to wrap up. If you are in this room and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and your only hope for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life, if you're a Christian and you see even inklings of genuine love for other people in your life, genuine joy, genuine peace, even moments of being patient with somebody who, who does not deserve to be patient, here's an invitation this morning. Celebrate. Hallelujah. The third member of the Trinity is supernaturally working in you. I don't know that we walk away encouraged often enough. Guys, if you have ever demonstrated genuine love to some other person, glory in that and praise the Lord. If you see growth in your life in these areas over the last couple of years, double praise. If you see growth in my life, would you tell me? If I see it in yours, I will tell you. Can we commit this to one another to celebrate what we see, the evidence of God outflowing in our lives?
I mean, who wouldn't be a little bit more confident to wake up early tomorrow, getting into the Word, getting into some prayer, going to work, knowing that there is evidence of the Holy Spirit alive in you. And He's not letting you go anywhere. You've been signed and sealed and delivered. Goodness. Let's celebrate together. I mean, I think that the church... Universal, not just substance. I mean, the capital C church, alive and well in the world today. We ought to be, the church ought to make the Pike Place market look like a landfill, for goodness sakes. We ought to be bursting at the seams with delightful aroma of love and joy and peace in this place and in our community groups and in our lives. We ought to be oozing with the delicious flavors of patience and kindness and goodness toward one another and to those who completely don't deserve it, which is one another. We ought to be radiating with the vibrant colors of being faithful and gentle and self-controlled. And we will do that when we celebrate And when we celebrate what we see, we subsequently cultivate it at the same time, do we not? We cultivate fruit when the Spirit in us is delighted to relish in the fact that we, apart from any of our doing, we're starting to display the very image of God we were created to reflect. I kid you not, when we are walking and living in the way that we were intended to live, like that jet, airplane. Man, we were, that's thriving, that's flourishing. We were made to be fruitful. It's no wonder that I am such a crotchety, cranky, terrible person when I am not being reminded of the gospel in my life that I have been indwelled by the Spirit of God, making real the gospel of the Son of God who was sent by the Father God. When I'm not being reminded of that and being empowered by the Spirit to live into my fruitfulness, I'm a miserable person, even with the Holy Spirit in me. And I'm sorry for that. I can be so impatient And the way we go about cultivating fruit is not by giving all of our focus and attention to fruit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Focusing on the result, focusing on the fruit, and not the source himself, the root, is a lot like that tomato that was sprayed into maturity, if you will, maturity, instead of being vine-ripened. That tomato might look good, but there is no flavor, and that is the case with superficial, legalistic fruit that I can produce myself. Might look good on the outside, but goodness me, there is no flavor there. Our job as men and women who have been born again by the Spirit's regenerative work in our hearts. Our job is to bury ourselves into the soil of God's Word. We get to wake up in the mornings and read God's Word. 
we get to take 15 minutes of extra lunch break or eat faster. And we get to be in the word. And man, when you immerse yourself in the word and you see how linearly tight that word is, you start to recognize, man, no man could have made this up and I want to eat it. Our job, cultivating the root, is to bury ourselves into the rich soil of God's word. And if you just did that for five minutes tomorrow before you went to work, it would bless you. Our other job is to be watered by the outpouring of God in prayer. Little by little each day, are you cultivating a life of prayer? If not, it's no wonder you're bearing false fruit, right? It's not vine ripened. Or worse, you know, I, we can come up with decoy fruit pretty well. And, and each week for the next nine weeks or eight weeks, if I can do my math properly, we're going to look at, you know, the fruit of the Spirit being, okay, the first one's love. There are decoy fruits that look a lot like love that weren't vine ripened. They were sprayed into maturity by our own self-effort and they will not last. They're rotten. Man, no wonder our fruit is rotten if we're not buried in the soil of the word, receiving the water of life from God, the spirit in prayer. No wonder if we're inconsistent, you know, in our community involvement. Man, you were in community group once in the last two months. No wonder. Goodness me. And worse than fake fruit. I don't even know if it's worse. Maybe fake fruit is the worst. But we start working the, the flesh again. And we jump headlong into sexual immorality. And we jump we headlong into envy and dissension. And Man, these things are opposed to, to what we're supposed to be looking like. And we know it. And we're... We're convicted by it. But church, don't go home today and start trying to bear fruit. Go home today and put on worship music that celebrates Jesus in spirit and in truth. Open up a five-minute devotional. Say, God, water my heart with this. Read it and then go outside. Because our job isn't the fruit. It's cultivating bit by bit the root the Lord will produce in you. I hope, and I can only speak for Substance Church, that what people are already experiencing when they come in here and what people will continue to experience is that they will walk in this place and they will see reflections of Jesus himself. And it will put Pike Place Market and every other farmer's market into a landfill because you know what? I would rather be in genuine and the atmosphere of goodness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control than I would all of the savory foods that are available that are they're going to perish, right? Verse 25, because we live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, if life is in the Spirit, then goodness, doesn't the second half of this follow pretty logically? Let us also then keep in step with the Spirit. Let's do that together this week.
and let's challenge each other in our community groups. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you made us so that we would bear your image and bear your fruit, and we did not. And then, Lord, in your grace, you gave us the law, but it could not produce in us long-lasting, heart-level fruit. And you knew that from the, the moment you gave it. And you had planned to give us the first fruit himself, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. And in him, we can see exactly what you are forming us to look like. And we celebrate that. But you didn't just give us Jesus to expel our sin. Lord, Jesus, you sent the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to enter the hearts of your people, to change our hearts from flesh to the desire to be fruitful. And Lord, now, Holy Spirit, you empower your church. Would you do that? Would you let us bear would you let us bear the love, joy, and the peace, and the patience, the kindness, and all? God, let others see you in us. And let us start with us. This week, would you make us hungry for your word? Would you make us thirsty for prayer? Would you reward us, Lord, with evidence of fruit in our lives that we would get kind of pumped about it? And that we would encourage one another. And that as we celebrate what we see, God, that we would also cultivate more. Because we want to be a church that's alive. And if we live by the Spirit, we will keep in step with the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.